Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? Welcome to WGN Radio Theater. Special three-hour presentation. And your hosts, Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, 1230. And we are uh, on the air, Lisa, on live here on WGN. Program 456 in the series. And we have uh, a shortened show, but we'll be here till 3 o'clock in the morning. Are you going to stick around till 3? I'll think about it. All right. Well, we are going to play an episode of Vic and Sade in this hour. We're also going to have our Just the Facts segment brought to you by Cat's Pride. But Vic and Sade from 1940 in this half hour. It's a quarter hour program. Then right at 1 o'clock, we will have Suspense starring... Alan Ladd from 1944, and then in our last hour, leading up to 3 o'clock in the morning, it's Abbott and Costello. Yes, they had a radio show along with their TV show. TV show can be seen on Antenna TV every once in a while. You know that, right? I sure do. I am a big fan, Carl. You know, Suspense actually had a television show, too, but they were... Um, kinescope, so the quality is not that great, but you're going to love the radio show we have with Alan Ladd. So that's all coming your way till 3 o'clock in the morning here on the WGN Radio Theater. A few commercials, and then we'll be right back. Hi, it's Lou Manfredini on behalf of Seattle Sutton's Healthy Eating. By now, you've heard me talk about the success I had in 2019 while being on the Seattle Sutton Healthy Eating Program. I set a goal to be healthier, lose weight, and the benefits have been remarkable. I'm maintaining my 35-pound weight loss, my blood pressure is under control, and my cholesterol is normal. My plan is to continue to be healthy in 2020 as well. Now, if 2020 is the year you want to make a healthy choice for your life, then call Seattle Sutton's Healthy Eating at 800-442-3438. That's 800-442-3438. Your good health is the mission at Seattle Sutton. Food tastes great, it's easy to get started, and if you stick with this plan, you will see the results. Happy New Year, and here's to a new you in 2020 with some help from SeattleSutton.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the Are innocent. these stories going to be true, Lisa? Oh, these are true. I have a few facts from 1940, the year of Vic and Say that we're about to play going this Going way hour. back to 1940. Way back to All 1940. Right. We are going to start with the debut of the Superman radio show. Okay. More powerful than a locomotive. Yeah. Right? Impervious to bullets. Okay. People, this is, a lot of people may not realize. It's a plane. It's Superman. This is the well-known signature opening, one of the most famous in radio history. Now, Superman. Yeah. This is uh, Jackson Back, the announcer narrated right. for the program from 1943 to 1950. And this was one of the longest-running programs in the history of American radio, spanned over 11 years from the time it was first syndicated. People may not realize that uh, this show was so popular on radio that as soon as television could could uh, muster up <laughs> the energy to do a TV show of it, they did. George Reeve, of course, yep. starring as uh, the Man of Steel, 
uh, great radio and TV series. And, of course, now and movies and every yeah. other thing. Well, 1940 was a big year the for premiere Superman. Of it, sure. May 15th of 1940, the very first McDonald's restaurant opened in... No, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, it's I know. opened in 1940? Would I kid you? I had no idea. I would have never guessed 1940. I thought it was way later than 1940. And that's why you have me in San Bernardino, California. But listen to this. So two brothers, Dick and Maurice McDonald, opened the stand as McDonald's Barbecue. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so slightly different. <laughs> they later shut it down, reopened it in 1948 with a pared-down menu of nine items, which included hamburgers for 15 cents, cheeseburgers, 19 cents. Can't afford it. I know you can't, but, no. I, you know, I'm uh, kind of generous that way. There's drinks. They had coffee, Coca-Cola, Orange Aid for 10 San cents. San Bernardino was the first uh, location? And Well, it, it was, but it was McDonald's barbecue right. back then. A little bit no different. Idea. And then uh, Crack convinced the brothers to give him the franchise rights to their business, which he acquired in 1955. Wow. Opened the first McDonald's franchise in 1955. Do you know where it opened? I think right here in Illinois. In Illinois. It Displains. was in Displains. Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that, exactly I've right. Driven past that, uh, you know, yep, historic building. It is historic. Yeah. 1955. Wow. And Frank Mars and Bruce Murray manufactured a candy coated yeah. chocolate in six different colors. I'm going to say it was. Um, oh. What? Uh, what was the name of the bar? You're joking, right? Was it the Musketeers? Three Musketeers? No, think, think, Carl. Candy-coated chocolate in six different colors. I don't know. Carl, you know what this. What is it? What is it? M&M's. Oh, M&M's. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Sure. M&M's are delicious. So the candy was first Do made in Do they melt in your mouth or in your hands? No, see, and that's the thing. The candy-coated chocolates were exclusively made available to members of the military. I, I just ate a couple of During them World yesterday. War II because some. they're resistant to because the heat. Because of Valentine's. Because they melt in your mouth and not, not in, in your, your hands. hands. Wow. And they were first packaged and tubed. I love M&M's. I'm guessing a lot like of our peanuts listeners... peanuts or regular? No, no. Just like, like the, the regular peanuts. classic M&M's. Well, thanks, Lisa. That's oh, all sure. from the year 1940 because Vic and yep. Sade is our broadcast from 1940. We will have Vic and Sade in this hour, Suspense with Alan Ladd, and then Abbott and Costello. We're here every Saturday night. Generally, we start at 11 p.m. 10. No, we I'm sorry, started 10 p.m. <laughs> And we go to 3 o'clock in the morning, 5 hours. You know what? You come at 11. I'm getting here at 10. No, no, no. 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and next week, we have a full five-hour oh, show. Oh, great. Okay. So we can look forward to that. Fantastic. All right. Vic and Sade came to radio in 1932, way back in 1932, came to radio. It lasted till 1946. And it did make a transition to television for a while in 1949 and then again in 1957. In its heyday, Lisa, do you, are you ready for this? In its heyday, 7 million listeners per day. 7 million listeners per day tuned in to Vic, Vic and Sade. It was a quarter-hour show. And the great thing about Vic and Sade, why I love Vic and Sade so much, you didn't have to listen. It wasn't like a soap opera where it was connecting each right. day. Each quarter hour had its own wrap-up. It was self-contained. And there were the central characters known as Radio's Home Folks. They were uh, accountant Victor Rod, uh, Rodney Gook, played by Art Van Harvey. His wife, Sade, played by Vernad, uh, Bernadine Flynn. And their adopted son, Rush, played by Billy Eilison. And Eidelson's acting career began right here 
on WGN way back in 1931, Billy Idelson. That is remarkable. His first role was on a soap opera being broadcast on this radio station. At its height, Vic and Sade was broadcast on all three networks. That was very rare. Very rare was a show heard on more than one network at a time. Vic and Sade was so popular that all three networks carried it. It was created by a guy named Paul Reimer, and he wrote every episode of the series. He wrote it from soup to nuts. We're going to listen to an episode from February 2nd, 1940. This was sponsored by Crisco. It was heard on NBC. It's called Mr. Donahue is Getting a Promotion. Here is Vic and Sade. And now get ready to smile again with radio's home folks, Crisco's Vic and Sade, brought to you by Procter & Gamble. You know, if I could drop in and visit all you folks, I think I'd pick Sunday night. Don't you think that's about the homiest night of the whole week, huh? Oh, I can see you there now, all sitting around the supper table, just waiting to pitch into all those good things to eat. And say, maybe there'd be a great big layer cake waiting on the sideboard. Maybe one of those three-layer cakes with lots of luscious cream filling. And maybe a maple walnut icing on top. Mm, sound good? And I certainly hope you'll make that layer cake with new Sure Mix Crisco. You see, new Sure Mix Crisco is the result of the greatest shortening discovery in 29 years. And what will it do for your cakes? Well, listen. New SureMix Crisco can make your cakes higher and lighter than any other home shortening we ever heard of. And they'll be tenderer and better eating, too. Now, how's that for cake news? Doesn't it make you want to start mixing up a cake with this new SureMix Crisco right away? Just wait till you see how this amazing new shortening picks up all your other cake ingredients and blends with them more thoroughly, more completely. Why, you've never seen a batter like this before because we don't know of any other shortening that can give you this wonderful cake batter that doesn't separate or become grainy. Ah, it's going to do your heart good to see this silky, smooth, sure-mix Crisco batter. Why, you just know a creamy cake batter like that means better eating cakes. And listen to this. We made baking tests, hundreds and hundreds of tests, with many different shortenings. And they definitely prove these smoother Crisco batters can make cakes higher, lighter, and tenderer. Yes, and better eating than cakes you can make with any other household shortening. So be sure and keep new SureMix Crisco on hand, won't you? And serve your family lots of Crisco cakes. It's my guess there's no dessert they'd rather have. Well, sir, it's late afternoon as our scene opens now. And here in the living room of the small house halfway up in the next block, we find Mr. Victor Gook, all by himself. Mr. Gook is established at the library table, sorting through a pile of official-looking documents. We surmise he's doing a spot of office work at home. His labors are interrupted now, however, by a voice from the kitchen. Listen. Big? Hi, Jay. Mr. Donner, who got the new job? They called up from the roundhouse with the news only about ten minutes ago. You may tender my congratulations and best wishes to Pa Donahue. You may also expect... Can I bother you a minute? All right, Ed. (laughs) Excited as a horse. Who, you? Yeah. Isn't it grand, though? Enchanting. This is a step up they've been waiting for for years. Traveling inspector of locomotives. Quite a fancy title. Been on pins and needles the last six weeks, wondering whether they'd get the position or not. Didn't hardly dare let themselves think about it for fear they'd be disappointed. Well, I I was puttering around in the kitchen and went out on the back porch to shake my mop. Miss Donna, who was standing in her pantry window, rapping on the glass to beat the band, made wild motions for me to come running over. 
Well, I scooted across the backyard, and she met me at the door with the big news. Oh, boy, is she walking on air. Danny who? Yeah, upstairs, changing clothes. She told me all about it in whispers. See, he don't want an enormous big fuss made. He's going to go right along about his business as though nothing had happened. Pretty soon we'll see him start off to work. I want to keep watching out the window so we don't miss him. He won't be wearing overalls, Vic. He'll be wearing a blue serge suit and a derby hat. He's got a Kansas City freight drag at 4.45. Kansas City freight drag? Yeah. Well, if he's all through being an engineer, how comes he has oh, to he take a... Oh, he still rides trains and all. Only instead of being the engineer with his hand on the throttle and his head stuck out the window, he loafs around in the cab sitting on a camp chair. He's the inspector, see? Mm. Hi, man. He's the monster's big inspector. Watches the gauges and meters and trash. Who's home? Keeps track of the steam. Checks up on the coal. Mm. Gives orders. Hey, you fireman, you shovel out some ashes. Mr. Engineer, toot your whistle. <laughs> Grand. How do you do, people? Hi, Sam. I enter my home and holler greetings, and nobody pays the slightest bit of attention to me. I expect civilization. Willie, step over to the window and watch for Mr. Donahue. Is Mr. Donahue... He'll be leaving the house directly to go to the railroad, and I don't want to miss seeing him. Scoot along. Holler the minute the door opens. <laughs> He'll be wearing a blue serge suit, Vic, and a derby hat. Bought him over six weeks ago. Just on the chance he'd get the job. Mm. <laughs> you ought to hear her. Running around like a chicken with its head off. See, he don't want any fuss made. He wouldn't have liked her to motion me over the way she done. We stood there in the kitchen doorway, and she told me the news in whispers. <laughs> Some whispers. The roundhouse just telephoned. It's gone through. Traveling inspector of locomotives. Effective immediately. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, Anything like doing next door, Willie? No. What's the idea? Well, keep watching. Holler the minute he steps out on the porch. What's the idea? Leave, I'll telephone Ruthie. Mm. She'll want to know. Mm. Shall I? <laughs> uh, I expect you're ready to bite my head off, bothering you in the middle of your work this way. I'm all through with the worst part. I'll call her then, huh? Sure. What's the idea, Ma? You'll have to be still, Sonny. I'm going to telephone. Uh, 2572X, please. She may be downtown. Mm. I know there's a wash rag sale on at Jamilton's. Ruthie Journey takes oh, advantage know, of every wash rag. Uh, Donahue? Yeah. Come on, Vic. Oh, sure. Mr. Donahue coming out on the porch? Mr. and Ms. Donahue both. Hurry up, Vic. Okay. Mr. Donahue's all dressed up. Derby hat, blue serge suit? Yeah, looks like he's oh, going to... Oh, I'm Willie. Give a person room. There's plenty of and room. And don't scratch your face out through the curtains where they can see you. Vic, why don't you... Come? I'm right here. Oh. Willie, move. Gee whiz, an individual... Yes, him. sir. Derby hat and blue serge suit. Don't he look nice? Look, she's detaining him on the front porch. <laughs> Probably realizes we're watching out the window and wants to give us a chance to get our eyes full. <laughs> That's what she's doing, Vic. Detaining him. <laughs> hey, what's the idea of all this? Rush, you're not so big you need to take up the whole creation. Get them elbows down. Ah, uh, sure, she's detaining them. Mm. <laughs> uh, what's the idea of all this? Ah, <laughs> uh, Donahue just got promoted. Yeah? He's the monstrous big traveling inspector of locomotives. Glad to hear it. Always glad Stay to learn. back, will you? We don't want to be caught staring our heads off. The telephone's ringing. Probably Bluetooth Johnson. Bluetooth threatened to call me. Probably Ruthie. I'll get it. 
Her phone rang when I called him Indigo, and she most likely had a notion it was me. This new job pretty snappy, Mr. Dunn, who's got? I guess it is. Rides around on engines, wearing good clothes, and balling out the firemen. Hello. <laughs> He'll get them good clothes dirty, oh, won't he? <laughs> I imagine so. Your mother tells me he's going to Kansas City on a freight drag this very well, afternoon. And get that derby hat full of coal dust. Yeah. <laughs> he can't hardly well, miss. Where will he sit down? They only got two seats in locomotives. One for the engineer and one for the fireman. Yeah. Well, Donahue lounges back in that camp chair. <laughs> I'd enjoy a job like that myself. I'd enjoy you riding around. Yeah. I told Ruthie I'd call her back. Mr. and Ms. Caller looking out their front window. Uh-huh. So they are. Is Miss Donahue still detaining her wonderful big traveling inspector of locomotives on the porch for the neighbors to see? <laughs> yeah. Give a person some space, Willie, mm. and keep back of the curtain. Looks awful nosy, three people all jammed in a window staring at the family next door. Mr. and Miss Caller staring out their window. Yeah? Stove poker just called my attention oh, to the I say they are. Miss Elders, too. I can see your silhouette. Yes, sir. Vic, you know what I bet? Uh-uh. I bet Miss Donahue telephone calls and elders. Bet she telephoned him and told him to keep an eye out for her wonderful husband with his derby hat and blue serge suit. Don't sound like exactly the kind of thing Ma Donahue'd do. Oh, no, but she's all excited. Not quite herself. I just bet anything she telephoned around. As far as that goes, I wouldn't be surprised with what she phoned hushers also. <laughs> Probably the neighbors all up and down Virginia Avenue are watching out their window. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Just look how she's detaining him on the porch there. Yeah. See how restless he is, hopping from one foot to the other. He's in a sweat to be off to the roundhouse, and she keeps talking to him. Why, well, I'll bet $9,000 she's got the neighbor's prime to get an eyeful of her big, enormous traveling inspector of locomotives. Well, I got my eyeful enough. I've got to get back and finish my work. Notice the lovely can... shoe shine he's got? Uh, Lovely shoe shine, derby hat, blue serge suit. <laughs> Boy, is he the cock of the roost. <laughs> off to the roundhouse. Uh-huh. Pa Donahue was at last shaking himself free of his wife's clinging hands as on his way to the roundhouse. Yep, there he goes. Kansas City Airbus. <laughs> hey, you fireman, you shovel in more coal. <laughs> 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 Toot your whistle, Mr. Engineer. How many times does a person have to tell you? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's grand. Mm. Straighten that curtain, Willie. Okay. Peachy increase in his pay and no more overalls. Mm. When he gets back from Kansas City, let's invite him over for supper. Give him kind of a halfway little celebration. Okay. Good idea? <laughs> you should have heard her whisper in my ear over in the kitchen a while ago. The roundhouse just now telephoned. It went through. Traveling inspector, locomotive. Effective immediately. <laughs> well, I'll phone Ruthie. Well, yeah, I'll get back to work. Don't sneak off, honey. I'm not. Have to trot for groceries. Two five seven two X, please. Yes. I feel so good for Mr. And Miss Donahue. Mm. They're fine, fine people. Deserve everything they get. Yeah. Uh, hello, lady. Guess what? Which concludes another brief interlude at the small house halfway up in the next block. There we leave Crisco's Vic and Sade until the next time. Say, if you'd like a sparkling new idea for your next luncheon party, try Crisco's Shrimpies. That's right, Shrimpies. Now here's the recipe. Mix a regular corn fritter batter 
and add one half cup of chopped shrimp for each twelve fritters. When you start frying, press a whole shrimp in the top of each fritter before turning them over. The shrimpies will be crisp and tender and digestible. They'll keep their own natural flavor and taste grand if you'll just fry them the Crisco way. And say, it's real news what Surmix Crisco does for your cakes. Why, we made baking tests with many different shortenings, and these tests prove that new Surmix Crisco cakes can be higher, lighter, tenderer, and better eating than cakes made with any other household shortening we know of. Now, of course, no shortening we know of comes to you purer, fresher, or creamier than new Surmix Crisco. So get an economical three-pound can today and use it for all your baking and frying. All right, that's Vic and Sade, February 2nd, 1940, sponsored by Crisco. You know, the magic of this show, Lisa, was that most of the action and the people and the places, they were strictly created through the dialogue, which was so so different than any other show. It was just on the magic of how he wrote the dialogue for these people. Listeners just heard the voices of the, the principal characters and, you know, them speaking about other people and incidents, which established, uh, you know, the whole atmosphere of it with very little sound effects or any music. Very unique series, super, super popular. Vic and Sade, hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Scott Nickel is uh, producing the show tonight. Scott, great job, buddy. And thank you for filling in for Shantae yeah. this, this morning. Yeah, it's great to work with you, Scott. It's uh, great to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having thank me. Thank you for uh, hitting all the right buttons and doing all the right, making us sound good and playing the classic radio shows. Mike Costello, our executive producer, is hanging out here. And uh, Mike makes... All of these shows sound so good. Are you on six? Uh, Mike Gastella is the, uh, I think he cleans these shows up when he's in the shower, in the bathtub, brushing his teeth. <laughs> oh, no. Right? I'm sleeping. That's not a yeah. visual we want to go to. You know, to. these shows, although they, we get the master recordings because we work with the rights holders, they still need a little tender, loving care, and Mike uh, does that. We appreciate that, Mike. Thank you. Um, in the next hour, we have Suspense with Alan Ladd. After that, it's Abbott and Costello. So stay with us here on WGN. You're listening to the WGN Radio Theater. I am your co-host. Lisa Wolf is my other co-host. I am your co-host. <laughs> Carl Mari is my co-host. <laughs> yeah, we're here every Saturday from 10 to 3, although sometimes we have to uh, start a little later like uh, we did tonight right? because of Hawks. But next week, I looked at the schedule. Or I did. Well, <laughs> I looked at it after you looked did at you? it. Did you? And I believe we start at 10 p.m. next week. You know week. where to go now? Yeah, it's right there. It's hanging up in... Uh, We've got a full five-hour show next yeah. week, so we can all look forward to starting at 10 p.m. That means five classic radio shows coming your way. And, uh, you know, I have been going through the whole library. I've been combing the library of over 100,000 shows to pick out shows for the rest of this year and shows for the Classic Radio Club, which is at ClassicRadioClub.com. And and I'm telling you, I'm finding some real gems that we're going to be airing. Really excited about it. And I know a lot of our listeners, they text in and they post on our Facebook page and they email us and let us know some of their favorites. So we like to incorporate those as well. I'll tell you, Jack Benny always, Jack people Benny, always Groucho want Jack Marx, Benny. Johnny yeah. Dollar. Mm-hmm. Those are suspense, which definitely we have. some of our fan favorites. Actually, Suspense is in this hour. Alan Lamb. Who did a lot of radio? You know, he was, of course, a movie star, 
and he was a director, but he liked radio. In fact, he and his partner, they had a restaurant, the two of these guys, um, uh, Alan Ladd and Bernie Jocelyn. They owned a restaurant called Mayfair, which was a very famous restaurant in Los Angeles. And they sold the restaurant during the 1940s, at the uh, middle of the 1940s, and they formed a radio production company called Mayfair Productions. Right. And they produced radio shows. That's how much Alan Ladd enjoyed radio. Now, he was making the majority of his money as a movie star. Of course, he's best known for playing Shane, but he was in a lot of detective movies as well. But he started a production company, and he enjoyed writing the scripts and starring in the show. In fact, one of the series, Box 13, Mm -hmm. uh, he starred in, which is a very popular series where he played a mystery novelist turned uh, sort of amateur detective. But he also, this Mayfair Productions also produced the Damon Runyon Theater and The Unexpected. And, you know, he had two sons. One of his sons, David Ladd, married... Cheryl Ladd. Did you know that? Well, I didn't know that, but of Charlie's course I, Angels? I knew Cheryl Ladd, of course. Yeah. And then his other son, um, became Alan Ladd Jr., became a very, I mean, one of the most successful producers in moviedom. He produced uh, Star Wars with George Lucas. In fact, he was like a champion for that movie. He wanted Star Wars to be made where other studios passed on it. He also was responsible for Alien, Police Academy, Chariots of Fire, The Right Stuff, Blade Runner, Moonstruck, Braveheart. It's Alan Ladd's son. So Apple didn't fall far from the tree. And Alan Ladd is the star of the suspense broadcast coming your way right after these words. One kid's going to be late for soccer and the other dance class. You jump in your car, hit the garage door remote, and nothing happens. Now what? Green Tea Services, service to a green tea. Hi, it's Tonya Koori for my family business, Green Tea Services. Right now, we have a garage door maintenance special. Our trained technicians come out and adjust the springs, check the cables, inspect the rollers, tighten hinges, and give your door and opener a complete lubrication. All for just $47. Service to a green tea. Garage doors fail when you least expect it. Don't get stuck in or out of your garage. Call for our $47 garage door maintenance special. Call Green Tea now for details. 800-5-GREEN-TEA. Green Tea Services, service to a green tea. 800-5-GREEN-TEA. 800-5-GREEN-TEA. Lisa Wolf here to tell you about our newest website for old-time radio lovers. It's 100radioshows.com. At this site, there are five old-time radio shows waiting for you to download free as our gift to you for listening to this radio show. And be sure to browse the additional 700 old-time radio shows available to you for 70% off by using the promo code RADIO at checkout. This is a limited-time offer, so log on to 100radioshows.com. That's 100radioshows.com. 3.2 million cats enter animal shelters every year. Sadly, over half of them are euthanized. So now, when you buy a green jug of Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Litter, we will donate a pound of litter to shelters across the country. No asterisk, a pound for every jug, period. 
See the whole story and find out how you can help save America's shelter cats one green jug at a time at catspride.com. Two Chicago mothers cut down before their time the lingering impact when women are victims of gun violence and the wounds that may never heal. Monday on WGN-TV News at 9. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. So this is sponsored by Cat's Pride. I've got a few facts from 1944, which is the year of our upcoming radio show, Suspense. And first off, we've got The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet Radio Show debuted. It did? It did. I swear it really did. <laughs> is I that a familiar this, I theme song? This theme, yeah. Yeah. I do, too. So when Red Skelton was drafted in March of 1944, Ozzy Nelson was prompted to create his own family Yeah, sitcom. you know, Ozzy was the band leader on the Red Skelton show. Harriet was the singer. And so Red Skelton got drafted. They're like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, there it goes. We better do Come something. Come up with something, they right. They did. Came up with the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. See, what do you need and me for? And debuted it debuted on their wedding anniversary. Oh, yeah. that I didn't know. Yep. So so it launched on October of 1944, and it ran through September of 1966, of course, starring the real-life Nelson family. And there were 402 radio episodes produced wow. in total, which is seriously one of the longest-running American television series series as Radio well. Radio and TV, yeah. Exactly. And the TV shows uh, oftentimes are seen on Antenna TV. Yep. See how that works? Very they are cool. our sister uh, station. That's right. Yep. And of course, Gaslight. Did you ever see the movie Gaslight? Was it Ingrid Bergman? It was. Yeah, I so, think I have a long time ago. What a great movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Right. Gaslight is a 1944, it's sort of a psychological thriller. Right. It came out in 1944, of course, adapted from uh, Patrick Hamilton as a play in 1938 called Gaslight. And it's about a woman and her husband really slowly manipulates her into believing she's going crazy. <laughs> and really... <laughs> That's what you've been doing to me for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, going insane. And, you know, anybody who's been working with you this long must be insane. <laughs> that must be me. The film was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including wow. Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Screenplay. It won two Best Actress and Best Production Design. And and the 1944 version starred, like you said, Ingrid Bergman mm-hmm. and uh, um, some others. And also 18-year-old Angela Lansbury. Oh, right. Yeah, in her yeah. Oscar-nominated screen debut, sure, wow. supporting actress. So great movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. And a very popular song in 1944 called Don't Fence Me In. This is uh, Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters. Let's see if you know this one. Give oh, sure. Land, Lots of land. And under starry skies above. Don't fence don't me in. Fence there it is. You're ruining it, Carl. <laughs> Let me ride so I have a knack of doing that. Uh, ruining music? Yeah. Nah, it's good. You know, it has a different feel to it. It was written in 1934. Now listen to this. With music yeah. by Cole Porter and Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters recorded in 44 without ever having seen or heard the song. So they entered the studio 
Within 30 minutes, they had completed the recording, and it sold more than a million copies. You know and why? Topped the Billboard charts for eight weeks. You know why? Uh, I'm afraid to ask. He had to go golfing. He had. He was very busy. He had 30 minutes, very and he was out. Enjoyed golfing a lot. Well, he's probably like, listen, I got 30 minutes to knock this thing out. Let's go. Let's do it. I got, <laughs> well, he did I have a great a tea job. Time. That's right. Well, he did a good job. Yeah. So sometimes, All right, very good. Yes. <laughs> and then our Abbott and Costello show is from 1944, too. So more 1944 yep, coming your way. facts. All right. Uh, we have a text in line, 312-981-7200. We love getting your texts. I do. I appreciate all your texts. I read them aloud to Carl. He's not a great reader, but he's a good listener. Right. <laughs> well, I was always listening to these classic radio shows, you know. And now you're listening to me. I'd go to, to school, and I, I could, and I was, when she was, uh, you know, the teacher. She, well, she? I had mostly female teachers when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and they were trying to teach me to read. I was thinking about the classic radio shows. I, I didn't want, were. I wasn't Back paying attention. Back when you attention. were like five years old wasn't learning to read. paying attention. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, do Texas. And by the way, folks, don't forget, we have five shows free to you. You can get Suspense, uh, Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Jack Benny. Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Gunsmoke and Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> five five classic radio shows digitally remastered by the great Mike Costello. They are waiting for you to digitally download. If you put your email in the website which is 100radioshows.com. If you go there, you can put your email in, and they're instantly sent to you. And you can Bluetooth them in your car and listen to them. This is our way of thanking you for tuning into our show. Five shows for you, free, no strings attached. Go to 100radioshows.com. Now, when you're there, there are hundreds more radio shows available for purchase. If you want to purchase them, make sure that you use the promo code RADIO at checkout. And it'll uh, discount your order by 70%. And people are uh, really liking that. It's another way of thanking you for listening to the show. 70% discount by using the promo code radio at 100radioshows.com. All right. Speaking of one of the best radio shows from the golden age of radio, Suspense. You know, CBS, Lisa, had a weekly series back in the early 1940s called Forecast. And the reason why they had this show was because if they had proposed ideas for, let's say, a comedy or a mystery or a Western or whatever, they would play one episode on this series called Forecast, and then people would vote and send in, yeah, we liked that, or no, we didn't like They had some way of gauging the audience if they liked it or not. And if they did, then they'd turn it into a regular radio series. Kind of a unique idea, right. a show called Forecast. Now, in 1940, CBS aired an episode of Suspense, a proposed kind of mystery series. And at the microphone was Alfred Hitchcock to direct. He not only, you know, directed the show, he was on the show along with Herbert Marshall and Edmund Gwen. They starred in an episode of The Lodger, which is a radio adaptation of the 1926 film that Alfred Hitchcock directed, of course, about Jack the Ripper. Um, It went over very well. In fact, we have that episode. We'll air it one time. I have a great quality episode of it. So nearly two years later, in 1942, CBS moved forward with suspense, but without Alfred Hitchcock. He was not available to direct the series. That was kind of the idea. We'll have Alfred Hitchcock come in, direct it. 
So they they uh, had a host by the name of the Man in Black, and at first it was Joseph Kearns played the Man in Black, and there were top writers of the uh, of the era along with the best movie stars. So suspense always had great movie stars in the lead roles. Now the most popular episode from suspense, do you remember what it was? Uh, not on a country road. No, sorry, well, sorry wrong, wrong number. number with uh, Andorra. Lu- yeah, with Agnes <laughs> Moorhead. That was aired eight times. They made a uh, a film of that movie in 1948. Now, you would think Agnes Moorhead would star in the film, but no, it was Barbara Stanwyck. Folks, if you've never seen Sorry, Wrong Number, the film with Barbara Stanwyck, definitely watch it. Now, Suspense had a 20-year run. It won numerous awards of excellence, including the Peabody Award. But here's something really, really interesting. In 1981, way after the series was off the air, a company put out an LP record of the hour-long suspense drama Donovan's Brain that starred Orson Welles, a sci-fi drama, two-part, two-half hours. They put out an hour, the full hour on an album 37 years after it aired, and it won a Grammy. Mm. Won a Grammy for Best Spoken Word. I'll tell you what. That's the power of these classic yep, radio and these shows. shows live on, and that's why we're playing them here on WGN today, that's all right. these years later. Yeah, there's nothing like these classic radio shows, and most of them made the transition yep. to television. So you not only hear them here on WGN, but then you can see the video uh, partners of those uh, shows, the video versions on Antenna TV for most of the shows that we air. And now this is called The Defense Rests. It stars Alan Ladd from March 9, 1944. Uninterrupted, here is Suspense. Roma Wines presents Suspense. Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salud! Your health, senor. Roma Wines toast the world. The wine for your table is Roma Wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the man in black, here to introduce this weekly half hour of Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you as star, Mr. Alan Ladd. In the character Mr. Ladd assumes with us tonight, he reveals the thoughts and through them the dramatic story of a young man on trial for the crime of murder. But before we take you to the scene of our drama, let's imagine ourselves for a moment in flower-garlanded Bermuda. Seated on the terrace of the exclusive Coral Beach and Tennis Club, a party of Bermudians and Americans are taking turns, each paying compliments to the delights of the other's native land. An American has just praised the famed Easter lilies of Bermuda. Then a Bermudian tops him with something like this. Among great American delights, he says, one of my favorites is right here on our table. It's this splendid wine we're all enjoying. Bermuda imports it from the justly renowned wine districts of California. It is your internationally esteemed Roma wine. Yes, and Americans themselves have certainly not overlooked the great and enjoyable qualities of these fine Roma wines. Proof is, Roma wines are America's largest selling wines. Such outstanding popularity must mean, here are wines that are more taste-delighting, more satisfying in their richness and fine wine quality. 
Yet with all that as your reward for specifying Roma Wines, you'll be amazed and delighted to hear your dealer say, Roma Wines cost only pennies a glass. That's because here in America you pay no high import duty or long void shipping charges for these fine Roma California wines. So, why put off this taste treat another day? Be sure to ask for R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now with the defense rests, and with the performance of our star, Alan Ladd, as defendant Robert Tasker, supported by John McIntyre as the noted criminal lawyer, Max Krager, we again hope to keep you in suspense. The People versus Robert Tasker. The defendant charged under the indictment with murder in the first degree. Is counsel for the defense prepared to proceed? I am, Your Honor. Very well, Mr. Krager. <clears throat> Your Honor, if the court please, I think it's fitting that for a moment I should speak openly to Your Honor and to the jury. The matter which has, albeit indirectly, nonetheless a substantial bearing on this case. I refer, of course, to the rather unique relationship existing between myself and the defendant, Robert Tasker. It's true that my interest in him and in his fate is far greater than the normal interest of a lawyer and his client. It's true that that interest might reasonably be described as it has been so many times as fatherly. Yet I ask your honor and the gentlemen of the jury to think of me in all fairness and without bias simply as a lawyer defending his client. It needs no expatiation on legal or practical ethics to demonstrate that I did not believe in my... My name is Robert Tasker. I'm sitting in a courtroom on trial for murder. As Mr. Krager, my lawyer, stands there now telling the judge and the jury about me and about him, I can't help thinking that if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be here today. And thinking what irony it is, too. Because Mr. Krager is the only friend I've ever had in the world. I'm an, an ex-con. My sentence was for ten years... After I'd been there about a year, I began to write just short stories, little things. I had lots of time. Finally, I sent one to a magazine, and they published it. Mr. Krager happened to read it. He wrote to me. Then he came to see me. He remembered my case, and he, he said he'd try to help me. Then one day, I was called to the warden's office. Hello, Robert. Hello, Mr. Krager. Robert, I've got some good news for you. I've got your parole. You're free. Well, you happy? I'm sure. It's just that I still don't quite believe it. Well, it's official to ask you. You know, your papers. Papers? That'll make everything easy, won't it, Warden? Passport to a brilliant future. Ex-con. Well, Robert, I know it's going to be a little hard to adjust at first, but there's a job in my office that I would like... Thanks, to... Mr. Krager. But I don't want charity. 
Even from you? It's charity, Robert. I need a clerk in my office or I wouldn't have offered you the job. You don't have to stay if you don't want to, but you'll be doing me a favor if you try it. Well, I guess I owe you at least one favor. Uh, well, Taskim, goodbye and good luck. Just remember that what's happened up here is water over the dam. Don't hold any grudges. I don't hold any grudges, Warden. There's one man I hate, that's all. A man you hate, Robert? Oh, let's see, it's a kidding about it. His name is Arthur Hines, and I hate him. Simple as that. Well, forget it, son. Hines was D.A. then. He was just doing a job, that's all. He had nothing against you. Yeah, he was doing a job, all right. Robert, you mustn't feel that way. You get along with Hines, all right. Get along with him? In the office. Didn't I tell you? Arthur Hines is my new partner. Well, it certainly threw me up for a second to hear I was going to work side by side with that... But while I figured they were right and that I shouldn't hold grudges and I made up my mind to play ball. The work wasn't hard and I was able to do some writing on the side. Mr. Crager always encouraged me in that and Peggy helped me a lot too. She helped me to believe in myself. All that time I never saw Mr. Hines. He was out of town or something. And then one day he came back. I was nervous at the idea of seeing him but I thought I was over my resentment then. He... He was in his office with someone. He'd come in the private entrance. I was out in the inner room with Peggy by the switchboard when I heard the commotion. You're going to give it to me. No, don't you understand the English language? No. Guy, you're a liar. No, you get out of here. Get out. Don't give me that, Hines. You've either got it or you know I don't know anything has. about it and I don't want to know. Don't you think I got enough trouble nowadays keeping mugs like you out of the pen without being a fence for what you stole? Now you get out of this office and stay out. Okay, but I'll be back. $50,000 is a lot of money. Well, what do you want? Why, I... Robert works here, Mr. Hines. My name's Robert Tasker. Did Mr. Crager tell you about me? I knew I'd seen you before. You're that punk kid I set up to San Quentin. That was for ten years. What do you mean you're working here? Well, Mr. Crager got me out. He gave me a job. Job of what? Snooping outside my office? I wasn't... Don't talk back to me, you dirty little jail rat. Why, you... Robert, what? don't... Come on, let me go. Hey, what... What's the trouble here? Robert, Robert. let me go. Stop it. Now, calm down, calm down. What's the matter? What's the idea of bringing this kid into the office, Max? Isn't it bad enough to have to work with criminals all day? Robert's not a criminal. He's here because I want him to be here. Because I believe in him and trust him. Oh, yeah? You don't still have anything against Robert, do you? Well, I just don't like anybody hanging around outside my door when I'm having a private conference, that's all. Now, look, look. Robert Tasker is one of the finest, most gifted young people I've ever known. I want him to get along here. I want him to get along with you, too, Arthur. See? Well, me, I can get along with anybody. Well, I gotta be in court. Wait a minute. Now, shake hands, both of you, will you? Well, anything to keep peace in the family. That's fine. Everything forgotten. Start off on a clean slate, right? Sure. Well, I'll see you later in the afternoon, Max. <clears throat> Robert, come into my office for a minute, will you? Sure. Now, boy, I'm terribly sorry. I don't know how to begin to apologize. Why should you apologize? Well, it was all my fault. I don't know how I could have been stupid enough not to tell him beforehand, for both your sakes. I know, but I just don't like him, and he doesn't like me. No, Robert, you're wrong there. It's just that things have been happening lately to upset him. Like this fellow Marvin and his $50,000. You know about that? Well, Robert, you know, we have to deal with some peculiar people in this business. There's a poor fellow who's been in prison himself for the last five years. He had quite a lot of money when he went in. Oh, he stole it, I guess. 
And he thinks Hines hijacked it on him, huh? If he ever really had it. He says he left it with a pal of his, and later the pal was killed in a gunfight. Gallucci, you remember the case. Yeah, I remember something about it. Anyway, just before he died, he told somebody he'd left the money with Hines. That's how the story goes. You know how those things travel on the grapevine. It's all nonsense, of course. That guy meant business just the same. It probably explains the whole thing. Hines was a little scared. <laughs> but don't let it worry you, Robert. You will stay, won't you? Believe me, it's for the best. Well, I've got to trust somebody, I guess. Trust me, Robert. I've never given you a bum steer, have I? No. Okay. That's the spirit. And any other little troubles, you just bring them to me, see? Thanks. Well, I guess I better relieve Peggy on the board. Keep your chin up, kid. Sure. I'm sorry I kept you waiting, Peggy. That's all right. Hey, Peggy, what's the matter? Please, don't say anything. Oh, but Peggy, what is it? Robert, I'm scared. Of what, Hines? Don't be silly. No, no, it's not him. Well, what is it? Robert, I shouldn't, but I've got to tell someone. Well, sure you have. All right, now take it easy. What is it? I've never told anyone before. Neither Mr. Hines nor Mr. Crager know. I'd die if they did. You wouldn't tell anyone, would you? Well, of course I won't. Come on, spill it. You saw that man who was in here, who was arguing with Mr. Hines about the $50,000? Yeah. Well, it's true. There is $50,000 somewhere. Yeah? Well, how do you know all this? I know, and I'm scared. Robert, he's a killer. That guy? Well, I wouldn't be surprised, but how do you know? Because he's my own brother. I had a hunch to lamb out of there right then. I knew something was going to happen. But I hated to run out on Peggy when she was in a jam and might need help, and I... I didn't want to let Mr. Crager down either, so I stayed. And one day, about two weeks later, it came. I hadn't had any more trouble with Hines. He was out of town most of the time anyway. He was still out of town that day. The day that, that he died. Crager and Hines. I'm sorry he's out of town. You might try later this afternoon. Yes, I'll tell Mr. Hines. Say, Peggy. Uh-huh. Do you know when Mr. Craig will be in? He didn't say. He's still over in the court on... Harry. Where is he? Who? You know who. Hines. Oh, Harry, I told you not to come. I begged you not to. Sure, sure. Always a little pal. Always a... Hey, wait a minute. What does this guy know? I told him that we were... That you were my brother. But nobody else knows yeah, how... sure. Okay, what do I care? I only care about one thing. But you promised, Harry. You, you promised... Where's you... Hines? I don't know. He's out. Then I'll wait till he comes back. Harry, you mustn't. I'm staying. I'll get it out of him. Harry, your sister says you should leave. You keep out of this, punk. I don't like that word, pal. Robert, listen. Will you watch the board for a few minutes? Sure, it's lunchtime anyway. Harry, I've got some things I want to talk over with you privately. Yeah? What things? About Hines and... Well, you know. Come on, we'll go downstairs to the grill in the lobby. You wouldn't be trying to ease me out of here, would you? No, honest, I've got to talk to you, Harry. Come on. Okay. And listen, pal. Yeah? If Mr. Hines comes in, you tell him I was here. And tell him he better come across or else. Is that all? Well, that's enough, ain't it? He'll know what I mean. Plenty. Sure. Craig and Hines. Hello, Robert. This is Max Craiger. Oh, yes, Mr. Craiger. You there all alone? Peggy out to lunch, huh? Uh, yes, she is. Well, that, that can't be helped. I'm in a hurry. Now, I'll tell you what I want you to do. Yes, sir? I'm across the street in the courthouse, Judge Andrews' court, the Ellsworth case. 
Now, there are some notes I've got to have over here right away. They're in my own handwriting, pencil, and clearly marked Ellsworth. Yes, sir. Now, uh, you'll find them in Mr. Hines' office. Pages all clipped together. I don't know exactly where in his office. It may be on his desk, maybe on one of the drawers or in the file or under the blotter. But keep looking, see? Keep looking until you find it. All right, sir. And then bring it over to me right away. Yes, sir. Got it? I'll be waiting for you. I left the switchboard and went into Mr. Hines' office. I started looking around for the notes. I, I looked everywhere. The desk drawers, the filing cabinet. I even tried to look in the safe, but it was locked. Then I noticed some yellow papers on top of the bookcase. I reached up and took them down. I, I was standing there with my back to the private entrance, looking the papers over to be sure that they were the right ones. What are you doing in here? Uh, Mr. Craig, I want some papers, Mr. Hines. I thought I told you to stay away from my office. What are you snooping around in here for? Well, Mr. Craig, I told me to look in here yeah? for them. Yeah? I... Something mighty funny going on around this office. Oh, there's nothing funny. Mr. Craig... I said there that... is. What's the switchboard girl doing sneaking around the lobby with Harry Marvin? Tried to duck me, but I saw him. First the switchboard girl turns out to have a crazy ex-convict for a boyfriend, and now I find... That's a lie. He's her brother. A brother? Oh, so that's it. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, Mr. Hines. I, I don't know anything about it, really. Well, you don't, eh? Well, I do. I get it now. I knew there was something, and all of a sudden I get it. Mr. Hines, there's nothing to get. So the girl and her brother go down to the lobby and set themselves an alibi, because they know I'll suspect them. Then they get you to do their dirty work for a nice fat cut, I suppose. That's what you think. Please, Mr. Hines, don't talk that way. Well, you didn't find it, did you? And you won't. Now get out of here, you little punk. I said don't talk that way. Why, you dirty, thieving little strip? I told you not to talk that way. He fell and just lay there. For a minute, I, I didn't know what to do. Then I knew I'd have to tell Mr. Krager. I knew I was all washed up there anyway. I couldn't very well expect a man even like Mr. Krager to choose between his law partner and me. And I couldn't stay in the same office with Mr. Hines after what had happened. Somehow, I wanted to tell Mr. Krager myself before anyone else did. I went out to the switchboard... Dial the courthouse number. Judge Andrews Court, Johnson speaking. I want to speak to Mr. Max Craig. This is his office calling. Well, I don't see him around here right now. The court's in recess. Oh, I know, but try to locate him, will you? It's important. Okay. Hold the line. I sat there, waiting for them to find Mr. Craig. All of a sudden, I remembered the papers he wanted. Cut off the call on the switchboard. Had to take the papers over to him anyway, and I thought I might as well go over and give him the papers and tell him what had happened then, and I'll get it over with. I was starting for the front door of the office. <laughs> then I heard a sound from Mr. Hines' office behind me. At first, I thought he was just coming to, and I kept going. And something sort of clicked in my mind, and I stopped. The sound hadn't seemed quite right for a man just coming to. I listened, but I didn't hear anything more, and that didn't seem quite natural either. I went back and opened the door to Mr. Hines' office. He, he was lying there just as I'd left him, and yet there was something different. I went over and looked at him more closely. His face was a terrible gray color. I touched his wrist, feeling for his pulse. Next thing I knew, I was down on my knees, tearing open his collar, but even, even then I knew it wasn't any use. Mr. Hines was dead. I don't know how long I stood there in that room. Might have been hours, it might have been only a couple of minutes. I 
just stood there, my mind dazed, and yet at the same time racing through a thousand half-formed plots and schemes of escape, of what I could say, of some way out of it. Then the switchboard began to buzz on an incoming call. It sort of brought me to my senses, and more out of a habit than anything else, I went out to answer it. Craig and Hines. Robert, you still there? Mr. Craig, I... Where are those notes? Haven't you found them yet? Yeah, I, I found them all right. I need them right away. Mr. Krager, I... Robert, what's the matter with you? I... I just killed Mr. Hines. You're just making it hard for yourself, Tasker. I've told you what happened. In a pig's eye you have. Well, I don't have to talk if I don't want to. Oh, no? I'm waiting for Mr. Krager. I told you that. Krager, what do you think he's going to do for you? I don't know. Well, I do. He's going to see that you burn. That's what he's going to do for you. Maybe. What do you expect? You kill a man's law partner right in his own office. And you think he's going to help you? Are you crazy? No, he told me he'd come down. Sure, of course he'll come down. To give evidence against you. Now, listen, Tasker. To give a full confession, we may be able to get you a break. Uh, Mr. Krager's outside, Captain. He wants to see you. Sure. Send him in. Okay, Mr. Krager. Thank you. Hi, boys. Hello, Mr. Krager. Hello, Robert. Hello, Mr. Krager. They've been treating you all right? Pretty good. Fine. I don't like to have people get rough with my clients. Your what? You heard me, Captain. While you're at it, you might as well take those handcuffs off him, because from this moment, he's out on bond, released in my custody. I've got the papers right here. Say, are you crazy? Certainly not. I simply don't believe the boy did it, that's all. Well, I'll be... All right, Hawkshaw. Who do you think did it? That, Captain, is your department. My job is simply to defend an innocent man. Look, Craig, don't try to kid us. It's an open and shut case. Tasker's the only person who had the opportunity, the only one who had a motive. Mm-hmm. Well? Not to speak ill of the dead, Captain, and although Arthur Hines was my law partner, it's unfortunately true that quite a number of people at least thought they had a motive. Sure, so maybe this ex-con Harry Marvin had a motive. Maybe even the day when the switchboard had a motive, for all I know. But they couldn't have done it. Fifty people saw him together downstairs in the lobby of the building at the time the murder was committed. Oh, you've talked to him, have you? Sure, so what? Listen, this kid admits he had a quarrel with Hines. He always hated him anyway. He admits he hit him. So he picks the paperweight off the desk and smashes him over the head. Wait a minute. You didn't say anything about that, Robert. No, I didn't even know about it before. I, I didn't hit him with the paperweight. Stop it, will you? The back of the man's head is bashed in with that paperweight. This kid's fingerprints are all over <laughs> What's so funny? This is murder, mister. I'm sorry, but you'll find out if you ever try to bring this boy to trial for killing Arthur Hines with a paperweight. Listen, Krager, I know you're pretty smart, and I know you go around bragging about you never lost a case. And that goes for this one. Double. But you're not going to make a chump out of me. This boy's going to be indicted for murder. He's going to be convicted of murder. And he's going to burn for murder. <laughs> indicted, convicted, burned. Three promises, and the first one's already happened. The second one, well, even I can see we don't stand much chance. And the third one, well, I just try not to think about it. There is Mr. Krager, up before that jury, acting as though it was an absolute certainty that I'd be cleared, pleading for me as though I were the only guy in the world. Because... Well, that's the kind of a man he is. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my firm conviction 
that when you've heard this boy's story from his own lips, and when through it you have in some measure, as I have in large measure, gained insight into the depth and integrity of his character and spirit, you will also believe him innocent. He is innocent. Now, Robert, I'll ask you to take the stand. Raise your right hand. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth to help you, God? I do. Now, Robert, just for the record, will you tell the court your full name? Robert Loring Tasker. Your age? 24. Your mother and father are dead. You have no living relatives? No. No one. Now, before you begin your story, there are one or two extremely important points that I particularly wish to emphasize to the court. Now, tell me, Robert. How long was it between the time you quarreled with Mr. Hines and the time you went back into his office and found him dead? Not long. Six or seven minutes, perhaps. But it was long enough for someone to have entered Mr. Hines' office by the back entrance, struck him, and left again, was it not? Yes, it was long enough for that to have happened. Now, <clears throat> concerning this famous paperweight the prosecution has talked about so much, I have it here. Do you recognize it? Yes, it was always on Mr. Hines' desk. Now, when you went into his office at my order to look for certain papers, you touched this paperweight, did you not? Yes, I touched just about everything on the desk. Exactly. In other words, your fingerprints would be found not only on this paperweight, but on practically everything else in the room. Yes, they would. In due course, Your Honor, we shall demonstrate that such is, in fact, precisely the case. Now, Robert... When Mr. Hines found you in his room, he was irate and highly suspicious, was he not? Yes, he was. In fact, he even suspected that there was some plot against him, involving Peggy, the switchboard girl, and a client of his named Harry Marvin. Yes, he did. You denied this, saying that, in fact, they were brother and sister. Yes, I... That's right. How is that again? I say you denied the charge of a plot, saying that Peggy and Harry Marvin were brother and sister. And then Mr. Your Hines Honor. went so far as to... Uh... Your Honor. Yes? Your Honor, there's something I've, I've just thought of, some new evidence. I'd like a few minutes alone with my lawyer, please. Well, if counsel has no objection... Robert, what is it? It's just something that I, I think I ought to tell you in private. Very well. Your Honor, please, then. By all means. Perhaps you would like to use my chamber. Thank you, Your Honor. Come along, Robert. have to lock the door, Robert. Well, I wanted to be private. All right, but Robert, you mustn't worry like this. Let me do the worrying. They can't convict you if there's a reasonable doubt. That's the law, and there is a reasonable doubt. Someone did come in and hit Hines in those six or seven minutes. It must have been that way. Yeah, I know. Of course you do. We've been over the whole thing. Now let's go back into that courtroom and continue. Mr. Craig, there's something I haven't told you. Something you haven't told me? What? That's a little thing, but it's kind of important. Because it's something I never told anyone. What is it? I never told anyone that Peggy was Harry Marvin's sister, except Mr. Hines, by mistake, and he's dead. Now, Robert, don't you think that's a little trivial to be bringing... No, because you know about it. You just said so in the courtroom. Well, I... Uh... There's only one way you could have found out. You must have been in your office when I had the fight with Hines and heard me tell him. Robert, that's ridiculous. Oh, no, it isn't, because you're right. Somebody did come in in those six or seven minutes and kill Hines. You did. Well, you're crazy. Must have been for that $50,000. You hijacked the hijacker. And you knew they'd pin it on me with my record. 
Maybe that's why you got me out of the pen in the first place. It is, isn't it? I'm not going to stay here and listen to any such nonsense. Oh, yes, you are. Because I'm going to get that truth out of you now. You planned it that way, didn't you? You sent me into Hines' office that day, and you probably sent him, and you figured you were such a hot lawyer that you might even get me off at 20 years or so to ease your dirty conscience, didn't you? Talk, Gregor! Don't get anywhere using violence with me. No, talk! No, 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 wait a minute. Even if I did confess, it wouldn't hold up as evidence. Talk! Listen, listen. We'd we'd postpone the trial. I can get you out of the country. I'll give you money. That's all I wanted to know. Now, come on, you talk! Get down! Get calling! Talk! That's where you went. I phoned at the court. I couldn't find you. You're killing highs, weren't you? Yes, I, I, I did it. I killed him, but... Okay. Okay, I guess we're going to lock that door now. What's going on in here? Grab it. He's, he's crazy. He attacked me. So I gather. He accused me of murder. Yes, I heard him. Tell me, Crager, where were you when this boy phoned you here at court, when they couldn't find you? Why, well, matter of fact, I was right here, right in this very room. Some work to do. I wanted... Your court was in recess, you were out of town. Yes, I know. But there's something you don't know. I? What? On the day of the murder, the floor of this room was being repainted. And the paint, Mr. Crager, was quite wet. Your Honor, the defense rests. And so closes The Defense Rest, starring Alan Ladd, tonight's tale of Suspense. Alan Ladd appeared through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, producers of Lady in the Dark. John McIntyre played lawyer Max Krager. Before Mr. Ladd returns to our microphone, here is a definition of yourself that may interest you. Connoisseur, one competent to act as a critical judge of an art or in a matter of taste. That's what Webster says. So that makes you a wine connoisseur, because certainly you are competent to act as a critical judge of a wine's taste. Matter of fact, all you have to know to be a true wine connoisseur, in the opinion of your friends and guests, is a single word. Roma. R-O-M-A. To get the proof, make your own taste test of the tangy, appetizing Roma Sherry, the hearty, satisfying Roma Burgundy, the heavier, sweeter Roma Port, or any of the many different delicious Roma California wines. If your favorite dealer is temporarily out of the kind of Roma wine you prefer, ask for it again, please. Just be sure to say R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Alan Ladd. It was a pleasure to make another appearance on this program, which is a great favor to mine. Next week, they tell me Laird Krieger will be your star. And I know you'll want to be listening, as I will. Good night. Thank you, Mr. Ladd. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. Tonight's play was written by Roland Brown and Robert L. Richards. Don't forget, then, next Monday for Laird Cragar in Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. 
We've got some facts from 1944 from our upcoming Abbott and Costello show. This is sponsored by Cat's Pride. And um, this is crazy, Carl. So we have a collaboration that began in 1944 between Salvador Dali and Walt Disney. Have you heard of anything like this? No. I haven't either. This is an animated short. It was released in 2003, but their collaboration began in 1944. It's called Destino. Have you heard of no. that? No. I hadn't either. It was released by Walt Disney Feature Animation, and it's unique in that the collaboration began 59 years before its eventual completion in 2003. You know, Walt Disney, obviously a genius. But probably not everything he ever touched turned to gold. I don't think that turned to gold. <laughs> I don't think it a turned Salva- to gold. He was probably like, so, I like Salvador Dali. I like I mean, his art. That's let's, right. So let's he's a painter. figure out a way right, to, put to it together. incorporate that. And they hired a Mexican songwriter named Armando Dominguez. So right. I've never heard of it. Armando. I've never, I've never seen it. But it's called Destino. I like his name. Armando. Armando. Rolls off the tongue. Armando. So that was 1944. We also had a very influential song called The Trolley Song by Judy Garland. You know this one, girl? I'm trying to think. Listen, I think you'll know it. It was made famous by Judy Garland in what 1944 film? 1944 film. Meet me in St. Louis? Yes. Wow, what a good wow. guess. Carl, that and was trolleys a good guess. were in San Francisco, not in St. Louis. I wonder why. I don't understand. What? I mean, remember the trolley oh, cars means, well, you know, always in St. Louis? Well, there's, I trolley, mean, uh, there's, there's trolley cars in New Orleans. You oh, take there the are? Trolley. Okay, well, that, there it the is. I New didn't Orleans. know that. So the I scene, thought the trolley cars were just in uh, San Francisco. No, they're not. No, huh? They used to have trolley cars in Chicago back in the day. Were those trolley cars, though? I think so. Okay. All right. Look, I, I spent time in New Orleans. I, don't know. I always took the trolley. Listen, when I was growing up, I was in my parents' basement collecting these classic Don't tell radio me what shows, you were doing so in the basement. I don't, don't want to know. I'm not <laughs> sure if there was trolleys out there in Chicago okay. or not. The scene in the movie was shot in one take, and of course, uh, they were nom- this uh, they were nominated at Academy Award for Best Original Song in the 1945 Academy Awards for the trolley song, mm-hmm. but they lost to Bing Crosby "Swinging on a Star," mm. also a very a very big song for the next. Wow. 1944, okay. and uh, the 16th Academy Awards ceremony took place on March 2nd of 1944 at Grauman's Chinese Theater. Theater, and what one outstanding motion picture? 1944, outstanding uh, motion picture. Of course, this movie was released in 43, and one. Can you in tell 44. me the star, and then maybe I can figure it out. I think if I told you a star, you'd know mm. for sure. Well, give me the star. Let's see. All right, Humphrey Bogart. 1944. Well, it was released mm. in 43. Oh. Probably Casablanca. That's the one, wow. Casablanca. So it won um, Outstanding Motion Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Wow, big movie, nineteen forty-four. Yeah. You know, I've seen the movie, and yeah. it's just like it's just like okay. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, people love that film, but you know, not all movies stand up to the test of time yeah. either. You know, they become dated, right, but well, we can still appreciate uh, some of the performances. Nineteen forty-four. Sure. Thanks, Lisa. Yep, sure. Text us three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. 
We'll be here till 3 o'clock. Uh, Abbott and Costello coming your way in just a second here. A little background on Abbott and Costello. They, were, um, they formed a partnership in 1935, way back in 1935. Yeah. They, uh, they actually started in burlesque theater in vaudeville. They, were, they didn't start on radio, and then they made kind of a name for themselves in burlesque and on stage and doing some traveling around the country, and then got a stint on the uh, Kate Smith radio show, right? And in 1938, they started really making a name for themselves on the Kate Smith show. But the weird thing was, when they were on stage, no problem. They could, you know, people watching could tell who was Bud Abbott and who was Costello. But on radio, their voices mm-hmm. were very, sort of like our voices. Yeah, they're very similar. Very similar. Hard to tell So us that's why I have to be deeper. And then you can go higher. Yeah, you need to go a lot So they know. Deeper. Well, that's what they had to do. Costello had to sort of, you know, affect a higher-pitched Mm-hmm. voice because on radio no yeah. visuals and that's why you hear Costello a lot of times talking way higher than Bud Abbott the straight man their routine who's on first made them a national sensation and that got them their own radio show and then of course movies beckoned their second film Buck Pive uh, Buck Pi- uh, Buck Privates from 1941 was a massive hit. It did made $4 million at the box office. That was like back, huge money sure. back in 1941. Hey, look, it's still huge money. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, in, for but a movie, it's, it's not that money. much. Right. Um, in, the, uh, in the 1940s, Universal executives thought it might be interesting to pair them with their monsters. You know, Universal was the king of the monsters. Frankenstein, right. Dracula, the Wolfman, you know, the Mummy. Those were all Universal. And they decided, you know what? Let's start pairing you with these mummies and Frankensteins and Draculas and things. And uh, so they made the film Abbott and Costello Meets Frankenstein in 1946. And I'll tell you what, Costello, he hated the idea. He hated the script, and just didn't want to do it. So they paid him a lot of money. They paid them out of the budget. Here's the crazy thing. The budget was $700,000, and over 150000 of that budget went to Abbott Costello. So then they liked the movie a little more. All of a sudden, it was a a great movie. But guess what? It was a huge smash, smash hit. In fact, it was... Listed, it's still listed in America's Film Institute 100 Funniest American Movies. It's 56th on that list. And now here's a little trivia. I don't know if you remember watching the movie, but at the end of the movie, so there's a bunch of monsters in that first one. There's Dracula, Bela Lugosi, Frankenstein's monster played by Glenn Strange. Lon Chaney Jr. is the Wolfman. But then at the very end of the movie, there's another monster. You don't see the monster because it's the Invisible Man. Do you know who supplied the voice of the Invisible Man at the very end of the movie? Vincent Price. I did not know that. There you go. Watch it. I'll have and, to listen, uh, listen for, for his I voice. I know that voice. All right, we have an Abbott Costello show for you, November sixteenth, nineteen forty-four, and uh, you will you'll love this uh, full half-hour broadcast. Here's Abbott and Costello. <laughs>
the Abbott and Costello program. Listen to the great rhythms of Freddie Rich and his orchestra, the swingy singing of Connie Haynes. And that lad whose message loud and clear each Thursday rings into your ear. Costello, Costello, come here. You're all excited. I like me. You're all excited. What? What's the thing you've got there? Huh? It looks like a telegram. Where did you get it? Oh, a fellow in a long green underwear gave it to me. A fellow in a long green underwear? Yeah, he was wearing a Western Union suit. Why, you dummy, that was a... <laughs> that was the messenger boy. And that's a telegram. What does it say? It don't say nothing, Abbott. I can't see a thing. Well, you dope, you haven't even opened the envelope. Oh, do you have to open it? Uh, I, I thought you were supposed to peek through this little window in the front. <laughs> Give me that telegram. I'll read it. Hey, hey, look, Costello. What? It's from your hometown. Patterson, New Jersey? Patterson, New Jersey. Oh, boy! Imagine. Look, it says, Dear Louis Costello. Oh, yeah. Abbott, look at the way they spell Louis. What do you mean? L O U S C. That's my hometown. Quiet, Costello. This telegram is from your old grade school in Patterson, public school 15. Oh, boy. Good old PS 15. My old alma mattress. Uh, no, no, no. No, you mean uh, alma mater. A mattress is something you lie on. I know. I laid around that school for ten years. <laughs> well, well, what do they want with me, Abbott? Well, the telegram goes on to say, uh, let's see now. We are proud of you, Mr. Costello, and the whole school will greatly on- be honored if you would come to Patterson this Saturday night and appear in our annual school play, signed by the principal, J. Soiloff Wallpaper. How do you like that, Abbott? Boy, oh boy, I knew my old school would send for me someday. Sure they would. I was always the hero of my school. I'll never forget Coach Abel Green. What do you mean? And those kids I played with, Michael Varello. What they those do? were the kids. Huh? We had a real team in that. I was even the captain of the tug-of-war team. Wait a minute. What did you do on the tug-of-war team? I was the second jerk from the end. I... <laughs> Yes, yes, but I can't... I don't get that. I don't either. Look, I can't understand why that school would send for you to appear in a play. What do you know about grammar? About what? Uh, do you understand grammar? No, not since she got a new false teeth. No, no. <laughs> Even Grandpa can't understand her. Now, Costello, Costello, I'm talking about dramatic acting. Did you ever do anything dramatic in school? Oh, did I? I used to get up, and I used to excite poetry. You did? Get a load of this little gem, which I wrote myself. Let's hear it. And roses are red, and violets are purple. Sugar is sweet, and so is maple syrple. Uh, well, <laughs> come on. Maple syrple, it rhymes, don't it? Well, what about it? But maple syrple, what is that? You, what is maple syrple? What is maple syrple? Maple syrple is the stuff you put on flannel cakes. Okay, look. <laughs> Talk sense now. If you're going to Patterson, New Jersey, we've got to get down to the railroad station right away. Come okay, on. Okay, come on. <laughs> All right now, Costello, let's get our tickets for Patterson. We've got to find a comfortable place to sleep on the train. Oh, I never have any trouble, Abbott. I got a system. I eat garlic before I get on a train. What has garlic got to do with finding a place to sleep? I just breathe in the conductor's face and he gives me a wide berth. I, oh, I'll be sensible. Well, here's the ticket window. Uh, I beg your pardon, sir. Uh, we're going to Patterson. Uh, could you tell us how the trains run? Oh, yes. There's a big black thing that pulls them and it goes choo-choo and woo 
This guy's been drinking too much of that traveler's aid. <laughs> Look. Look. <laughs> you better let, let me handle this, Costello. I think I better because right. I lost my place. All right, never mind that. <laughs> Look. In order to say... Say, hello, come here. Look, look, I'll take care of everything. Don't worry about a thing. In order to save money, I think we'd better get a couple of upper berths. Oh, but I don't want an upper. I want a lower. But, Costello, do you realize that if you buy a lower, you'll find it's much higher than an upper? Oh, sure. I mean, after all, any... What'd you say? Uh, I I said that a lower is higher than an upper. A lower is higher than an upper? Why, certainly. Well, what are they doing? Running the trains upside down? (laughs) Of course not. The lower is a more desirable berth. Therefore, if you want to go lower, you'll have to go higher. If I want to go lower, I'll have to go higher. Yes. Why should I go higher when I want to go lower? Now, uh, simply because if you want to go lower, you have to go higher. Because the lower is higher than the upper. And the reason the lower is higher than the upper is because the upper is higher up than the lower. Oh! You mean that the upper is lower than the lower yes. because the lower is higher than the upper? Now you've got it. Now I've got it. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Costello, I'm trying to tell you that they sell the upper lower than the lower because when you sleep in an upper, you have to get up to go to bed. I have to get up to go to bed? That's right. <laughs> Who's paying for my birth? You are. And there ain't going to be anybody in it but me? No. Then why do I have to get up? Uh, Costello, look, I've already explained it. Unless you go higher for a lower, then you're stuck with an upper. And you'll have to get up when you go to bed. And you'll have to get down when you want to get up. What? Let me smell your breath. Freddie Rich plays a hit tune of today, but for many of you, it is also a hit of other years. Freddie revives Sweet and Lovely.
Here you are, Costello, in good old Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah, Abbott. And here's my old school. Do tell. P.S. 15. As I stand here looking at this whole building, I think of the happy days I spent here as a boy. How long did you go to school, Costello? You mean counting kindergarten? Yes. One year. Uh, <laughs> well, come on, let's find the principal's office and see what time we start rehearsing for the school play tonight. Hey, what do you mean? What time we start rehearsing? Not we, me. This is my old school, not yours, Abbott. What do you mean? I'm going to do this play all by myself. I don't need your help. Oh, how can you say that, Costello? Haven't I always given you the best of everything? Why, last, last Sunday when we had a, a double date, I gave you the best girl. What a slick little number you had. Slick number is right. I bent her back in my arms and her hair slid off. All right, look, look. <laughs> just, just cut that out, Costello. Wait a minute, I think this is the principal's office right here. No, 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 not that room. What do you no, mean? No, that room is where they have the art class. What do you mean? That's where I learned to draw, Abbott. You did? I was a wonderful drawer. My kid brother, Sebastian, is in there now. He's studying to be a drawer, too. Well, that'll be nice. Just think of it. The Costello brothers. A pair of drawers. <laughs> But never mind that. Where is the principal's office? Oh, I don't quite remember, Abbott. But look, look. Here's my old first grade's room. First grade room? Yeah. Hey. Well, why don't you go in and say hello to your old teacher? Oh, I don't think Miss Sashwaite would remember me. I wonder if she's as fat as she used to be. Why, was she very fat? Fat. Every time she turned around, she used to erase the back blackboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I said it! All right, all right. Well, go ahead. Open the door and see if she remembers you after all these years. Okay. Boy, will she be surprised to see me. Miss Ashwaite! Miss Ashwaite! Yes? Don't you remember me? I'm Lou Costello. Oh, and where were you all day yesterday? <laughs> yesterday? I haven't been here for 15 years. If you're absent one more day, you'll have to bring a note from your mother. <laughs> Just a minute, Miss Ashwaite. I'm Lou Costello. Don't you remember how 15 years ago I always used to pester you by raising my hand? Yes? Well? You can go now. <laughs> Gee, Miss Hesswaite. Gee, she's changed. I remember when she used to keep me after school to spank her erasers. All right, look. Come on, Costello. Here's the principal's office right over here. Uh, and you'd better let me talk to him. He's a very brilliant man. Go ahead. Uh, <clears throat> how do you do, sir? Are you Professor Wallpaper, the principal? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can always tell a Harvard man. <laughs> Professor, I understand you want Costello to appear in your school play tonight. Yeah, just a minute. I, I got the telephone tangled in my yo-yo. <laughs> uh, now, if you fellas are looking for the rehearsal of the play, it's right in the next room. Oh, all right. Come on, Costello. Oh, I love you, Millicent, my darling. I love you too, Rodney. Kiss me, my sweet. Oh. Hey, you two, cut it out. Shh, wait a minute, don't stop them, Costello. That's wonderful acting. They're not acting. That's the janitor and the fourth grade teacher. <laughs> oh, this is ridiculous. Can anybody tell us where they're rehearsing the play, please? Yeah, right in the next room. Just ask for the English teacher. He's in charge. Yeah, thanks. Oh, I love you, Millicent, my darling. I love you too, Rodney. Kiss me, my sweet. Hey, Abbott, what? they've been doing that for 15 years. Why don't they get together? Well, she won't marry him when he's drunk, and he won't marry her when he's sober. <laughs> so, don't tell me that you're teaching in this school, too. 
Yeah, could be, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm devoting my whole life to teaching the little kiddies how to speak perfectly the king's English. <laughs> yes, yes, I went to one of the most famous colleges in England. Eaton? Yeah, Eaton and Drinken. <laughs> I had a wonderful time. <laughs> I was in London once. Yeah. I met a beautiful girl on the street one day. Uh, Piccadilly? I certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly did. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Kitzel, I understand you're directing the school play tonight. Yes, sir, yeah, my friend. You know, my whole family was dramatic coaches. My grandfather was a coach. My father was a coach. My uncle was a coach. Oh, I come from a long line of coaches. And what are you, the caboose? <laughs> well, well, gentlemen, I'll see you tonight at the play. Now I must get back to my pupil. Uh, just a minute, Kitzel. Yeah. Just a minute. Is my kid brother Sebastian in your English class? Is that little Sebastian your brother? <laughs> Hoo-hoo, is he a bright little chappy? You know, he is speaking the best English from the whole school. Just a second, I'll call him Sebastian. <laughs> Hello, Sebastian. Hello. I just wanted to tell you how proud I am of you. Professor Kitzel just told me that you're the best English pupil in his whole class. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. Connie Haynes and a lovely song together.
former pupils, Lou Costello has consented to present a play for us. Most of you remember Lou Costello. In his school days, he was the head boy along this block. And let us listen to this blockhead. <laughs> Costello, Costello, the audience is waiting for you. You've just been introduced. Open this door. Here I am, Uncle Bob. Sebastian, what are you doing in your brother's makeup and his costume? What is the meaning of this? Louie has disappeared. Disappeared? Mm-hmm. Don't worry, Uncle Bud. What do you mean? I'm, I'm going out on the stage and I'm going to take his place. And the audience will never know the difference. I put on this big, big putty nose that I got and, and I put on my nose. This big putty nose. But Sebastian, uh, you've got the putty down over the end of your nose. How are you going to smell? All right. Unless they turn on the heat. Well, uh, look, Sebastian, <laughs> what are you going to do when you get out on that stage? Well, I'm going to tell them a story about Romeo and Juliet. And it was written by William Shakespeare, a very great ether. Ether? Mm -hmm. You mean author. Ether puts people asleep. That's what the story's gonna do. <laughs> well, uh, all right, as long as Lou isn't here, I, I, I suppose you'll have to do it. Okay, come on, hurry up. The curtain's going up. Come on, there you are. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, thank you, thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm about to tell you the story of Romeo and Juliet. Now... I don't want any interruptions from you, Uncle Abbott. Go ahead. Let My me big brother told me how you interrupt him. Oh, well, go ahead. But don't interrupt me. Tell that story. Don't give me that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I lost my place like my big brother. Now, I am... I'm not kidding. Once upon a time, there was a fellow named Romeo. Romeo? What did this Romeo look like? Uh, I got out of that one. Well, all right. What did he look like? Huh? What did he look like? Well, he, he was about... How do I know what he looked like? I never met the guy. Then why do you tell stories about people you don't even know? Nobody knows Romeo. He's just a guy in the story. He's an imaginary character. Oh, you mean he's just a person in fancy? In fancy? In fancy what? In fancy nothing. That's a good way to catch gold. <laughs> now look, Uncle Bud, if you just shut up, I'll tell a story. All right, go ahead. I won't say anymore. Okay. All right, go Once ahead. Once upon a time, there was a fellow named Romeo... And he was his father's only son. Well, that's right. He was his father's heir. His what? His father's heir. His father didn't have any hair. He was bald-headed. All right, go ahead. Now, don't interrupt me. All right, go ahead. Now, there's a girl in the story, and her name is Juliet. And her father was giving a big party, you know, to kind of uh, sort of shove her into society. Oh, yeah, you mean she was ha ha making her debut. I don't know if it was a debut or her nightview. All I know, it was her first party, and a lot of people was invited to see her and stuff. I, I, and things. Uh, well, you see, the the folks were coming in uh, to her coming out party. How can you come in to come out? She was inside already. Naturally, she had to come in to come out. What did she want to come out for? She was inside. This wasn't an outdoor affair. All right, all right. All... This was inside. I know that. You told me that. All right. Well, if people are going to come in to come out, there's no use of... Going out to come in. All right. Uh, Why don't they stay home? Look, Sebastian, you don't understand. Why don't you stay home? Look, you don't understand, I Sebastian. Stay home now, listen, you. please. You want me to tell your big brother on you? Anybody got lozenges? Uh, listen, please. Look, the party brings her out. The party brings her That's out? That's right. Why should the party bring her out? What did the little girl do? No, 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 no. The party didn't even start. Some guy right away wants to drag her out. No, you don't understand. Why don't they leave the little kid alone? Now, 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 Sebastian. Maybe she wasn't drinking. But, cuz, listen, Sebastian. Maybe she had one pop. Now, Sebastian. Maybe after all, the kid is okay. Yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right. Lost again. All right, go on with the story. Well, look. Look, wasn't, uh... <laughs> 
Look, wasn't Romeo invited to this party? Not longer! Look, wasn't Romeo invited to this party is what I want to know, wasn't he? Oh, sure! Oh, that... sure. No, you see, Juliet's father... Thank you, Mr. Bernard. Juliet's father... <laughs> I need him! Now, come on, Sebastian. Ju- Juliet's father didn't like Romeo, yes. so he had to put on a mask, and he borrowed another guy's clothes, and he went away. Oh, Romeo went in disguise. Yeah. In this guy's clothes! I see. All right, all right, I see. You see, Uncle Bud, Romeo and Juliet's father was enemies, and they was fighting for 15 years. They, they didn't like each other. Yeah. Uh, which family uh, brought on the feud? They both brought on the feud, but Romeo wouldn't eat it. He was lovesick. He kept getting thin and pale. Oh, I see. He looked wan. Oh, yeah. He... What did you say? I said, he looked one. Don't you know what one is? Yeah, one is the number before two. No, 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 no. One, two, a of my shit. No, 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 no. One means picket. Romeo was picket. Oh, sure. He was picket through the keyhole at Juliet. Now, Sebastian. <laughs> well, if I was there, I'd have picket out of her uh, myself. Uh, Sebastian, will you please go on with the play? Well, anyway, every night Juliet used to sit on the balcony. Why did she sit in the balcony? Because she couldn't afford a seat in the orchestra. Sure. All right, all right. And she liked to sit in the balcony. All right, now, don't argue. Up there she could smoke. Oh, yeah, 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 I understand. Put her feet on the rail. Yes, yes, go on, go ahead. So far, so good. Go ahead. One night, I hope I can hold out. All One right. night, Juliet dropped her handkerchief and Romeo picked it up and handed it to her. And uh, what did uh, Juliet do when Romeo handed her the handkerchief? Has she done like anybody? Else. What? 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 Just what? Well, you know what I Wait, mean. Do you know the story, don't you? Oh, yes, yeah, she... Well, what did Juliet do when Romeo handed her the handkerchief? You know, like they always... What did she do? She wiped her nose! All right, now, 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 now. Gee, did you have to make me say well, that? Well, all right, never mind. I mean, it's your line. All right, look, but look, Sebastian, as I remember the story, Romeo had a rival and they fought a duel with lances. Now, what I can't understand is why did the other fella kick Romeo when Romeo dropped his lance? Because he caught Romeo with his lance down. Uh, That's enough, Sebastian. Stop the play. Stop it. I say, ladies and gentlemen, the play is over. Bring down the curtain. Hey, hey. Hey. What's the idea of stopping the play, Uncle Bud? Sebastian, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Not only have you disgraced your brother Lou, but you stand there and make a monkey out of a great masterpiece. You ridicule Romeo and Juliet, the greatest love story of all time, and you deliberately insult the name of William Shakespeare. Why do you do these wicked things? Oh, I'm a bad boy! Yeah, I'll say you're a bad boy. Oh, I'm the kind of kid my mother won't let me associate with. Uh, You certainly are. (laughs) Now, come here. Now, where is your brother Lou? I think he might be in the fourth grade classroom, Uncle Bud. What makes you think that? Because I locked him in there before the show. Sebastian, unlock that door and let your brother out. Probably in there crying his eyes out because he missed the play. Go on, open that door. Okay, Uncle Bud. Go ahead. I love you, Millicent, my darling. I love you too, Costello. Kiss me, my sweet. Costello. Costello. What are you doing making love with a fourth grade teacher? You know she's the janitor's girl. You're telling me, Abbott. And I'm the new janitor. But But you missed the whole play. Oh, don't worry, Abbott. Millicent and I are going to put on another play tomorrow night. Another play? Yeah, and I'm calling it The Girl Who Eloped with the New Janitor or Gone with the Window Cleaner. I love you, Costello, my sweet. I love you too, Millicent, my sweet. Oh, he's a bad boy! (laughs) 
Costello will be back in a moment. Thanks to the Yanks of the Week. Tonight we salute Technical Sergeant George James H. Logan of Luling, Texas, who is one of only two men in this war to receive both the Congressional Medal of Honor and the Distinguished Service Cross. Listen tomorrow to Jimmy Durante and Gary Moore. Monday to Bob Hawk in Thanks to the Yanks. And next Thursday to Abbott and Costello. And before we hear from the boys, I'd like to say the Merchant Marine needs more men to man the supply lines to victory. And to eligible men, it offers not only a well-paid and worthy present, but a splendid future. In six months' time now, you can make the progress it would have taken you three years to make before Pearl Harbor. Get all the facts. Go to any United States Employment Service office or wire collect to the United States Merchant Marine, Washington, D.C. And now, here are Bud and Lou Costello with a final word. Thanks, Ken. But it's getting a little late, so all we'll have time to say is just... Good night, folks. And good night to everybody. Good night, please. To... Bye, Bonds. Bye, Bonds. Good, good night, night, folks. Everybody in Patterson, New Jersey. Good night, neighbors. Good night, neighbors. Be sure to tune in next week for another great Abbott and Costello show. The Abbott and Costello Show will be back at this very same time next week. Don't miss it. This is Ken Niles in Hollywood wishing you a pleasant good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. That is the Abbott and Costello Show from November 16, 1944. Costello in a school play. Bud Abbott, Lou Costello. And that was originally sponsored by Camel Cigarettes. We had to remove that. We can't play cigarette commercials on uh, the radio. Nor would we want to. Yeah, we don't want to either. <laughs> Although, I'll, I will tell you this. In the Classic Radio Club that we uh, that we have for our listeners to join and get 10 shows sent to them each and every month, plus liner notes, we never edit anything out. You get the original shows with all the original commercials, nothing ever edited. The uh, You can get them on CD, the 10 shows on five CDs in a collector case each month, or you can get the digital downloads. If you want to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, and there's we have hundreds and hundreds of members and a lot of fun, 10 shows each month, go to ClassicRadioClub.com. And in fact, when you join... There's an Abbott and Costello you get in the first set with the Who's On First. Well, how could you have Abbott and Costello and not Who's On First? Yeah, well, they Come didn't on. do the Who's On First routine that often on radio, so we included one that does have the Who's On First in that first batch that you get. And you get Jack Benny and her Sanctum, Gunsmoke. You get great stuff the very first time you join. And then every month you will be sent 10 more shows. So it's pretty cool. Classic Radio Club. Dot com. All right, let's take a break, and then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. You look so happy and healthy, Lisa. Well, I am happy and healthy, Carl. <laughs> Why do you look extra healthy and happy? 
Well, I don't know if you just heard the new radio I spot did hear we a have radio for spot. Vistro. Yes, I and heard. that is my newest find. It's sort of like my hidden secret. Sort of like but your little not... doggy. You love your little doggy I so much. I love my Vistro, and I want to tell you about it because I think it's something that you and our listeners could really, really love and appreciate Vistro. it. Because v- I know that I do. Okay, v e e s t r o dot com. Right, That's vistro.com. All right, what about and it? They are an organic, vegan meal delivery service right so what they do is they cook fresh organic ingredients they have their own chefs and they deliver it right i need a chef i need a chef this Uh, is my personal chef so personal chef the great thing about it is the chef is over there they're not at your house that's sleeping in your house they're at vistro's house they send it right to my doorstep it comes frozen from the vistro house and all i have to do is heat these meals in the microwave he or or she knows how to prepare it right are you you know are you purporting that i do not know how to prepare it i'm not saying you're not a good cook i'm just saying it's very difficult to eat healthy and go to the grocery store and find these fresh organic ingredients and find the recipes right and make it taste great it really tastes better when you leave it to the experts and the experts are vistro right you get these wonderful meals they are uh, convenient they're healthy, they are super delicious, and they're all vegan. And, you know, you don't have to be a vegetarian to enjoy these dishes. So I know that you aren't a vegetarian. Right. But you know what? Some of these I'm entrees... I'm a carnivore. You are a carnivore. But, you know, not only you, they've got all sorts of categories. If you want soy-free, if you want nut-free, if you want low-calorie, if you want gluten-free, these are all options Sounds that really you have healthy. with Vistro. And it tastes really good. Carl, look at me. Yeah. It is absolutely I know you're delicious. so... I mean, you are so... High on this, I, I love know. it. It's I great just wanted to, see to you. share so, it with you. And you know, with I can our feel listeners. the passion because you've been getting Vistro now for a few weeks, right? And you're loving it because it just comes in dry ice, right? Yeah, you, you put it right in the frozen. oven or the well, microwave. I put it in my freezer first, right? I understand that. But when, <laughs> but when you're ready, I'm ready to, to, eat to cook it. it, right in the oven in the microwave, and it's delicious. And it's delicious. And they have things like country fried chicken. It's not actually chicken, of course. It's all plant based. Plant based. Yeah. There's enchilada casserole. Some of my favorites are the breakfast burrito. They've got an eggplant casserole. Wow. Check it out. Go to the website. You will be so happy that you did. And this is really... I a- don't know if you can talk me into not eating meat, though. Well, you're going to try. And really? you're going to check it out. Mm. And you're going to taste a little Vistro. And you let me it know what you think. It does sound really, really good. It's delicious. There's pad thai... Right there's oh, I some. I love pad thai. I know you do. That's one of your favorites. Vistro dot com. V e e s t r o dot com. Huh. Check it out. All right. Order. Give it a shot. See if you don't okay. think it's one of the most delicious meals you you've sold ever had. Me. I will check it out. All okay? right. Very good. All right, Lisa. You know what? When we come back here next week, we have a full show. We start at ten o'clock. We've got five hours. Of Go great all the way to three radio. o'clock in the morning. I love when we have the full five hours because. We get to listen to more classic radio shows we, that way. We do. We have five great shows. What's we're on the agenda? S- we're going to start with Gunsmoke. Oh, William Conrad right. is U.S. Marshal Matt Dillon. There you go. We've got Night Beats. That's Frank Lovejoy. <laughs> I don't know Frank yes, Lovejoy. Frank Lovejoy. <laughs> We've got Murder at Midnight. Oh, scary, scary. It is scary. We've got The Great Gildersleeve. Al Perry, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. <laughs> and we've got The Hall of Fantasy. Oh, two mysteries. So um, it's a chock-full uh, night So we got a Western... 
a kind of uh, newspaper drama right. set in Chicago. Nightbeat right. was set right, right here in Chicago. Chicago star. Yeah. Fictitious, and, of course. Yeah, and then Murder at Midnight, Scary Scary. Right. We've got a comedy with the great Gildersleeve. And then Hall of Fantasy, yeah. Scary. Good stuff. Ah, very good, Lisa. Ah. Don't forget, folks, we have five classic radio shows waiting for you to uh, get free just by going to our website, 100 Radio Shows. Dot com. If you log on to 100 Radio Shows, so 100radioshows.com, at the very top of the site, all you have to do is put your email address and hit send, and you will receive an email like instantly, like it takes two seconds. You'll get an email from us, and it'll have five classic radio shows via digital download links in there. Suspense, Jack Benny... Richard Diamond, Private Detective, Gunsmoke, and Fibber McGee and Molly. This is a way to thank you for listening to our show. Right, and the quality of these shows is what you'd expect from us here at WGN Radio Theater. Absolutely brilliant sound quality. And then at that same site, there are 700 radio shows. They're in collections of 100 radio shows. And there's a comedy, and there's a mystery, a detective, a western, a Christmas show. And a greatest shows of all time. And greatest shows and a drama. So there's seven different ones. And if you want to order those, make sure to use the promo code RADIO because you will save 70% on your order. Don't forget. 